0: Everybody, jeff Salzman here, and welcome to the Daily Evolver. You can find all my stuff at dailyevolver.com. I love hearing from you. You can write me at jeff at dailyevolver.com, or you can go to the website, click the connect tab, and leave me a voicemail. And like I said, I love hearing from you, and I have been hearing from you. And that's uh, what I'm going to respond to today is that. People are all uh, a Twitter, literally, uh, uh, about the election American politics here as we leave Nevada and head towards South Carolina. One of the advantages that I appreciate about integral consciousness is that being multi-perspectival, And seeing the truth of all stages of human development and worldviews, at least as a practice, I mean, it's not something you do very well, but at least as a practice, it liberates us from having to have a solid opinion about things. We may notice that we do have a solid opinion, but one of the things that comes online at Integral is a witness or observer position where we can see our arising Jeffness, in my case, thoughts and feelings and body sensations and all of the stuff that make up our subjective reality. And we don't have to be hooked by it as much. And, and, and it, this is a particularly great practice with politics, because politics is about, you know, it's, it's, it's hitting lower chakras of power and control and how the world should be. And so there's a lot of juice there. And yet, <laughs> despite the fact that I try to, you know, listen to all points of view and, and even be influenced by the person I'm talking to, I still have to, as a good citizen, make a decision. And I am uh, uh, called upon now to make a decision in the next, I guess, six days, it's Wednesday, and next Tuesday is Super Tuesday, which is a big day in American elections. I live in Colorado, and we're one of the states that make up about a third of the voters that will be voting on Tuesday, and there's a lot that's gonna um, be known after Tuesday. For one thing, if it's the first time Mike Bloomberg is gonna be on the ballot. So what I wanna do, is I want to walk through the six main candidates that are still in contention. Elizabeth Warren, Joe Biden, Amy Klobuchar, Mike Bloomberg, Bernie Sanders, and Pete Buttigieg. And I'm actually not sure what vote I'm going to cast. I have till Tuesday. I will say that I have ruled three out, I'm pretty sure, and three in. And so I'll start with the ones I've ruled out. And first among them, I guess, we'll we'll talk about seven candidates is Trump. And, you know, I've done plenty of commentary on Trump. I'm gonna do more because I confess I have evolved on Trump. And it, it does feel like a confession because it feels like a betrayal of some of my progressive friends and my own progressiveness. But Trump's easy for me to rule out because He's red, you know, and he's operating from a egocentric stage of development. I think there's other stuff coming online. There's other stuff that is online, but he's red enough that, and egocentric enough, that I don't want him to be in charge of the government and the, particularly the nuclear codes. So, of the Democrats, I, I guess I'll start with my least favorite... <laughs> And uh, this is Elizabeth Warren. And, you know, I wanted to like Elizabeth Warren. I didn't want to be a sexist. I didn't want to think she was a hectoring school mom. I really challenged that, but I saw it arise in me. But after the two debates, I am actually repulsed by her. And, you know, I, I, I so I get to see that. And I think, why am I repulsed? And it's the same reason I'm repulsed by Trump, is that. Both of them exhibit red, which is this ungoverned impulse to slash and burn your opponent without regard to vetted facts. Now, Trump much more than Warren. For him, it's a lifestyle. But still, I saw it in her last night. And what I'm talking about particularly is is her going after Bloomberg, claiming that, again, I don't know how many years or decades ago, But Bloomberg was talking to a young woman who was weighing her pregnancy and her career, and he suggested that one of her options was to kill it. Uh, He completely denies it. And so the moderator, being a good moderator, asked her, you know, what proof do you have that Bloomberg said that? And her answer was her words. Now, that is literally chilling. To the modern sensibility, and it was historically quite hard fought, that people can't be convicted through accusations, that there has to be proof. Otherwise, we're back in the witch burnings. And if that's the standard for ruining somebody's reputation and career, then no wonder the vast majority of Americans, and I'm talking about women, blacks, gays, everybody, vast majority agree that political correctness has gone too far. I've often said political correctness, the, the, the speech and thought police of the green meme, there's a thought police in orange, there's a thought police in all stages of development. Uh, but this is the one at green. And you know, when we think about moving forward into a new integration, you know, integrals, basically the integration of the best of previous stages, then this is what we want to leave behind. And, there, and, and there's a red impulse in all stages because red's still there in the, in the meme stack. Anyway, I know what she was doing. She was appealing to, uh, you know, other red green people, for one thing. And mainly I think she was trying to put a hole in the Bloomberg balloon. And At that, I mean, if you politics is a rough game, she, she did it. I mean, I felt it myself, particularly after his lousy response. And, you know, I heard it in my liberal friends, a lot of my friends uh, are and were more for Bloomberg, uh, simply because they calculate that he can beat Trump, but definitely set them back. And uh, so, you know, so Elizabeth, if that was what you were after you did it. And But I get to have my feelings, and right today, my feelings are, you know, go away. And uh, I think, to quote my dear departed mother, you make my ass tired. All right, so Elizabeth's out. Also, the fact that she came in third, fourth, and fourth in the first three primaries where she spent three years of her life campaigning. All right. Number two, that I think we can bid a provisional farewell to, at least as president, is Joe Biden. Consensus was he was better last night in the pre-South Carolina debate. Uh, I have seen him in a couple extended interviews where, you know, he just doesn't feel like the future. It's just as simple as that. You know, he adds up on paper in a certain way, like Jeb Bush did. John Kerry or Dukakis, there's a whole line of them. But presidents lead us into the future, even if, like Trump, the future is the 1950s, you know, recapitulated. But at least it's not the status quo. And Biden is just, uh, uh, you know, exemplar for the status quo. Okay, the third one I'm ruling out is Amy Klobuchar, and you know, I've talked about her being, you know, so I sort of get a subtle body contraction from her, that this um, default smile, and yet behind the scenes, she's a, a totalitarian with her staff and throws things and yells at them. And, you know, i, I, I it's off-brand. It's, off brand, it's um, incoherent. I'm warming up. <laughs> I got to say, i I am warming up to her. I thought she was really pretty good last night. And, um, you know, she's a woman pragmatist from the Midwest. I think she could be formidable against Trump. And I think she is almost perfect. And this may be what she's really after. She's a perfect VP candidate for uh, whoever gets the presidential nod. And that brings me to something else I wanted to share before I get <laughs> into to the three candidates I'm ruling in and who I may vote for. Uh, There was an article in the New York Times this morning, in the opinion section, by, by Tom Friedman. He says, the Democrats have to do something extraordinary. Forge a national unity ticket, the likes of which they have never forged before. What would this super ticket look like? Well. And then he gets into it's going to be Sanders or Bloomberg. It's going to be at the head of the ticket. And this this theory of this super ticket works either way with either of them at the top. And he lays it out this way: if he was whoever's at the top, there, he says, I want people to know that if I am the Democratic nominee, these will be my cabinet choices, my team of rivals. I want Amy Klobuchar as my Vice President. Her decency, experience, and moderation will be greatly appreciated across America, and particularly in the Midwest. I want Mike Bloomberg, or Bernie Sanders, depending on who's saying this, as my Secretary of the Treasury. Our plans for addressing income inequality are actually not that far apart. And if we can blend them together, it will be great for the country and reassure markets. Again, that's true on paper. I can't imagine Bernie Sanders picking Mike Bloomberg as Secretary of Treasury or vice versa. I'm not even sure that's a good idea. That's my weakest uh, point in this argument, article, but um, to go on. And here's one I like. I want Joe Biden as my Secretary of State. No one on our party knows the world better or has more credibility with our allies than Joe. And if you want an establishment guy, Secretary of State, that's good. He he goes on, I will ask Elizabeth Warren to serve as Health and Human Services Secretary. No one could bring more energy and intellect to the task of expanding health care for more Americans than Senator Warren. Okay, fair enough. I want Kamala Harris for Attorney General. She has the toughness and integrity to clean up the corrupt mess Donald Trump has created in our Justice Department. I'm good with that. Next, I would like Mayor Pete as Homeland Security Secretary. His intelligence and military background would make him a quick study in that job. I'd like Tom Steyer to be a brand new cabinet position, Secretary of National Infrastructure. Cory Booker, the former mayor of Newark, who I love actually to become Secretary of Housing and Urban Development. Who would bring more passion to the task of revitalizing our inner cities than Corey? And then here's an interesting one. I am asking Mitt Romney to be my Commerce Secretary. He is the best person to promote American business and technology abroad, and it is vital that the public understands that my government will be representing all Americans, including Republicans. I'd like Andrew Yang to be Energy Secretary, And here's a good one. Uh, Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez to serve as our UN ambassador. Can you imagine how our international standing would improve with youth worldwide with her representing next-gen America? I love it. William McRaven, uh, retired Navy Admiral for the um, Secretary of Defense. And and then um, Friedman goes on to write, he says, If Bernie or Bloomberg or whoever emerges to head the Democratic ticket brings together such a team of rivals, I am confident it will defeat Trump in a landslide. I think so too, actually. But if progressives think they can win without the moderates or the moderates without the progressives, they are crazy. And they'd be taking a huge risk with the future of the country by trying. And then he goes on to, to sort of bemoan the end of the parties and that, you know, Trump has turned the Republican Party into the Trump Party and it's dead. And, you know, that'll be true with the Democrats as well. If either Bernie or Bloomberg head up the ticket, you know, Bernie's a, not a Democrat and neither is Bloomberg or at least wasn't for most of his career. So, you know, the parties, things change. Did we really think the parties were going to be in charge in the way they have been forever? You know, and then the world will continue to turn. And I think what's happening is, especially with this ascendancy of Bernie, that we are seeing, you know, the continued polarization in a bad way. Polarization is always sort of ugly and rancorous and uncomfortable, but it's also fruitful. And it is a stage on the path of development. We have to really flesh out these, the whole field, not just the 40-yard lines, but the whole field so that we can see what we've got. And until we do, as ugly as it is, we're not ready for a new integration. And normally that requires a war. Uh, I argue that in countries with a center of gravity of modernity and above, we can do it with a mere culture war. But nevertheless, that has to happen. And uh, I think as integralists, we can be friendlier to the culture war. All right. So with that said, let me just share who I'm ruling in. I'll start with the choice of my heart, which is Pete Buttigieg. Uh, I did a, a podcast on him called Mayor Pete's X Factor, Could it be integral consciousness? And I think it is, actually. And last night on the debate, he talked about, imagine tuning in to the TV and seeing a president that actually lowers your blood pressure. And that's really true of him for me. I I often describe it as just my subtle body relaxes. You know, I recognize an integral flexibility of mind and a multi-perspectivalism, and a friendliness to all, you know, like Obama, also an integral uh, character to me. And um, so that's just, I just vibe with that. Uh, the downside is, I don't know if he could beat Trump. I could, I, I could see this swell, you know, when it's Trump against Buttigieg, you know, I could see the wave that would carry Buttigieg forward. But I also see the what would be working against him. One is that he just turned 38. And, and I gotta say, even from my perspective, I think that's too young, I do. I think that you could be really smart at, at 38. I think you could be really integral at 38 and younger. But there is something to be said for just the quantity of years and experience that um, you know, starts to rack it up after 38. So I don't know. But, uh, you know, for me, that's not in the plus column at all. And the gay thing, I think, of course, cuts both ways. Uh, the traditionalists who are, you know, let's face it, they're repulsed by the idea of him kissing his husband in the you know, White House and more. God knows. Don't want to think about it. It's probably a little bit like the way we progressives don't want to think about Trump and Melania. And this is the traditionalists. Now, I don't think the Democrats are going to get them anyway. So, you know, we factor that in. The postmodernists are, yeah, we want a gay. <laughs> you know, it's a positive. Uh, and, uh, you know, fair enough. So it's, it would go with the sort of movable middle that the modernists, and if you look at the evolution of attitudes about gay people, Modernists are still in that don't ask, don't tell camp. They're kind of okay with knowing about it, but they don't want to talk about it. They don't want to see it. Um, and, uh, you know, the, the, this is a very much a moving target. I mean, culture has moved so fast on this. It's astonishing in my lifetime. But I don't know. I'm trying to factor that in. And uh, so I, I do see these obstacles to Pete. But, you know... Damn, his ascendancy here—that he is a 38-year-old mayor of a city of 100,000 in the Midwest that nobody thinks about—really just demonstrates the cutting power of integral thinking, and um, that he has, you know, just through the sheer power of his mind and his sensibility and his heart, uh, that there's—it's that an the next factor that. I think really is exciting and bodes well for humanity as integral consciousness continues to come online. Anyway, Pete, I may vote for you because I want to put another, you know, tick up on the integral column. Uh, but in my heart, I think I, we'd all be better off with, provided we survive this long, the, to welcome in the Judge administration maybe in 2032 or something. We'll see. Next is Bloomberg. Again, he looks good on paper. He's the moderate. What Bloomberg would bring would be the reasonable middle, the people who just want the world to be managed. Well, the modernists, basically. They want the trains to run on time. Um, uh, Mayor of a big city is just uniquely qualified to run things. And apparently he did that very well. And I could sort of see some personality flaws. And I wish wish he would be, in a way, as candid about them as Trump is. And just respond to Elizabeth Warren and the progressive critics with something like, you know, I'm an old guy. Uh, I'm growing like America. I came of age before feminism, through feminism. I've said and thought things. I've told jokes that I cringe at now. And, you know, Trump and his crowd and our political enemies will try to use that against me. It's the cause of endless spin. And it's not just the Republicans and the political enemies. It's the whole media machine. Everybody loves the sensationalism of it. I'm not, I don't want to add grist to the mill. And if you want four more years of Trump, then stick with this line of questioning, because that's how you get four more years of Trump. So I don't know, something like that. Uh the the one question that I also cringed with him at is, and this was the last debate actually, where the questioner asked him, You're worth 64 billion dollars. Okay, actually, that is, just to put it in context, as much as the, the, the bottom 150 million Americans. So she says, you're worth $64 billion. Did you earn that? And his answer was yes. And, you know, again, legally true, but it really is, it, it, it it's be, becomes more and more of a moral dilemma to see that kind of wealth concentrated in one person's hands and so to sort of continue that answer with something like you know it's hard to say that one person earns that kind of a fortune that that's come my way but you know I work hard I think I'm a talented guy but please I hit the jackpot I was at the right place at the right time I was able to ride the horse I was able to manage my, manage it and what a great country and what a great system that can, you know, spin off, create that much wealth. And, you know, I hope to bring that kind of luck to running the country. He, you know, in some ways I'm, I'm sorry that Bloomberg got in the debates because he's not a good debater and he hasn't been doing it long. And I think people <laughs> have been too obsequious to him for most of his life. But um, when I think about my friends who are, small business owners and, you know, part of the money elites, they're not, you know, not billionaires by any means, but they're going to have a hard time voting for Bernie. And I've had a couple friends say, if it's Bernie and Trump, I'm voting for Trump. And these are people who hate Trump, but they love their money. And uh, so Trump is, is considering the piece of prosperity that we're living in He is historically low in terms of his approval and high in disapproval. The majority, solid majority of people are somewhere between embarrassed and outraged by Trump. He's vulnerable just because you don't want to see him anymore. But, um, and I think Mike could do that. So, you know, we'll see in the next five days if anything wants to pull my vote his way. But I'm open to it. He's, He's still ruled in. All right. So, that leads us to Bernie. Bernie Sanders, also ruled in, the sixth of the sixth I'm going to talk about. And, again, I think that Bernie represents the propulsive force of evolution arising on the left, just as Trump did on the right. It's one of the sort of axioms of human beings that will choose anxiety over depression. If we have a choice, we don't just want to stick with the status quo. That's just, it's not built into our genes. It's just not, it's not the, the, the procreate urge of the cosmos is always wanting to challenge the status quo. And what Trump did was he countered modernity, globalism and postmodernity, which is multiculturalism. And, um, and that is, a fruitful challenge, and, um, and I think we'll be better off for it, even, again, as ugly as it is. But that almost wants, in terms of the laws of polarity and just the energetics of the cosmos, it wants to swing to the left and encounter the status quo from the left. And people don't want, you know, if you think of young people who are working the gig economy and maybe they have two jobs and three jobs and they're insecure in terms of their health care and, uh, and sort of safety net, and they're a little confused. And, you know, that's a lot of people are in that situation. I maintain that that is better than being like my dad and my uncles and aunts, particularly my uncles, working for one company for 40 years. And that's all you did. But it's still, it has a, uh, a, you know, there's a stressful piece of it that they don't want to manage their way into the future. They want to change it. And that is fruitful. There's another kind of sort of draining the swamp from the left that wants to happen. And that is just the end of the corruption of money and influence peddling and senators spending half their time fundraising. I just find that to be. A repulsive idea. And I think Trump is vulnerable. There's no question that Trump is vulnerable to that kind of uh, counter from the left. And I could absolutely see the wave rising that would take Bernie to to the presidency. I think Bernie would get a lot of Trump voters. I think, you know, a lot of Trump voters are just angry at the whole situation and The critique of the moneyed class, they're very, very receptive to, and Trump can't really carry that. Now, you know, Bernie is an old-style liberal, you know, an old-style socialist, actually. And, uh, you know, he's gotten into trouble here over the last couple days for, (laughs) as Pete put it, looking on the bright side of the Castro regime, you know... I don't know if it's a problem. It's probably about as much of a problem as it was for Trump to say that he thought Putin was a strong leader and McCain was not a war hero because he got caught. Uh, so, you know, I think this, again, what it ultimately signifies is I'm not for the status quo here. I'm, 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 I'm blowing up our thinking. And there is a sort of a mindset in progressive thinking particularly this old-time socialist thing, that history is just an endless battle between the oppressor and the oppressed, and, you know, there's an argument for that. And you know, there's an argument that that's still true, and you can sort of get sympathetic with this, you know, the arising of the peasants at the 20th century, and in many cases, their hearts were in the right place in terms of education and healthcare and so forth. But from an integral perspective, we can see that if their center of gravity is pre-modern, then they're doomed because it's modernity that brings this miracle to humanity where we're going to have rule of law, not rule of the dictator. And until that, you get authoritarianism and totalitarianism. Whether at the hands of the czar or the colonialists, or the peasants, and so if you don't have a evolutionary view, or at least a clear evolutionary view, most people have a de facto one, even though they'll, I've never admitted it. It's the strangest thing, but anyway, if you if you have this view that it's just you know back and forth, of the oppressor and the oppressed, then you know it gets confusing as to what socialism even means. You know, is it is it uh, Chavez? Is it uh, Ortega? Is it the 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 uh, Ayatollah? Uh, is it the Bolsheviks? Was it good until Stalin came along? As my friend Bob said the other night, you know, the Bolsheviks weren't that bad until Stalin came along. Lenin didn't kill that many people, <laughs> you know. It's true, and 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 I think there's actually some benefit in looking at that and seeing that where the hearts are in the right place but it's very different than socialism today and what we might see in Scandinavia or any place where we're actually headed. And, and, you know, it's inevitable. This is where, you know, the Bernie thing is, there has a certain inevitability to it, uh, whether it's Bernie or not, that this, you know, more green economy, more egalitarian sustainable economy, uh, you know, the, the, Modern economy is about winners and losers. It's about growth, 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 growth. Sustainability is what's called for at Green, and we're going to move there one way or the other. So, um, you know, it might be Bernie, uh, because he, he's, you know, he's running a great campaign. And you know that what he's saying, he believes because he hasn't changed it in 30 years. So, um, you know, he, he can raise, he's raising money like a, a you know, a, a good capitalist, only from not from billionaires, there's something to be said for that. He doesn't owe anybody anything. He's good with organization. And um, so, you know, I may jump on the Bernie train. I may feel the burn. I am feeling the burn. Um, but, um, you know, I still fear that, you know, can he bring out the new voter? Because he's definitely going to turn off a lot of the people who put their money first you know and they're they're actually deeply invested in the current system and that's that may you know it could be an ignominious defeat i mean we don't know i don't know nor does anybody else but this is uh, what we're we're engaged in and i wanted to share i thought one of my listeners justin mcsherry really had a good integral analysis of bernie he 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 started out not as a bernie supporter and has, uh, as he said, he's feeling the burn. And I'll actually read from, so he writes, he says, who do you think will win the Democratic nomination? I was a Hillary supporter last time around because, well, Bernie just seemed unelectable. Not that he didn't inspire me with his message, nor was it because he wasn't genuine in his message, and not that he didn't convince me he was fighting for the right things. It was all just a little bit much. And he started to become a sort of caricature of the far left. And frankly, in 2016, a quote socialist candidate didn't seem likely to win after eight years of Obama pushing the culture to the left. The right was energized like never before to MAGA, make America great again. He goes on, he says, I don't know, but I think I'm feeling the burn this time around and starting to feel genuinely excited about it. I will say that I am indeed chafed by the nature of Bernie's black and white thinking, capitalism is bad, Medicare for all or nothing. His critics are right in this regard, and it's very much a green worldview that is lacking in the nuanced polarity thinking espoused by Steve McIntosh that our political discourse so desperately needs. And he was referring to Steve's new book, uh, Developmental Politics, How America Can Grow into a Better Version of Itself, which I think is a terrific integral analysis and map of the way forward. Um, I did a podcast with him called A New Politics of Culture uh, with Steve McIntosh a couple weeks ago. It's on the the Daily Evolver site. So he's referring to that. And then uh, Justin goes on to write, he says, at the same time, I believe integral thinking is ahead of its time, right where it needs to be at the cutting edge. But the center of gravity of this great nation has some growing to do before it's ready. And I think the growing will be catalyzed by a period of upheaval and crisis seen only once in a generation. Looking at the Strauss-Howe generational theory, we're smack dab in the middle of a fourth turning. And I did a podcast on this, uh, you know, maybe a couple years ago now called the Bannon Doctrine. And it's about this idea of generational change. And it's, you know, another fascinating um, pattern that you can lay on history that makes a lot of sense. But we're at a fourth turning, and here's how they describe it. And this is what Justin says, he said, he's quoting them and saying, the fourth turning is the era in which America's institutional life is torn down and rebuilt from the ground up, always in response to a perceived threat to the nation's very survival, Civic authority revives. Cultural expression finds a community purpose. And people begin to locate themselves as members of a larger group. In every instance, fourth turnings have eventually become new founding moments in American history, refreshing and redefining the national identity. And I think that's true. It's what I was talking about, that this polarization that we're... Shining the light, widening the lens to see this, so that we're not stuck in the suffocating center, you know. It's not a a homogenized center. This is just a bigger field that we want to integrate. And Justin says it very well. He says, this crisis, I believe, hinges on a revolution that will stabilize the middle class— Integrate a population of poor Southern and Midwestern Trump supporters who are desperately trying to make it into the middle class. And in short, this crisis is about the future of capitalism itself. And it's abundantly clear that Bernie is tapping into a deep sentiment across America that it's time to question our institutions, hold our leaders accountable and let this moment smash into the financial system like a particle accelerator smashes atoms. That's just what my money friends are afraid of, but okay, I get it. Why? Because it's the right thing to do. Bernie is tapping into the moral lines of development and sending a message without compromise. Does a spiritual sage advocate for compromise when teaching the path to enlightenment? Hell no. When the next recession hits, You can bet Bernie will have a tidal wave of support that just may spark a revolution. And even though I resonate with Mayor Pete, and I agree with you that his message of unification and hope sounds the most integral of all, he reminds me of Obama in this regard, and he inspires me in the same way. Unification is not what is needed, yet. Unification will come after the crisis, when it's time to rebuild our institutions for the next generation. I'm all for Buddha Judge 2028. I was saying 2032, but okay. But right now is not a time for compromise. Now is the time for a revolution. And God, I love getting great integral thinking from my listeners like that. And thank you, Justin. Yeah, so you know, I don't think people who ultimately vote for Bernie, if he's the one aren't going to do it because they think he's going to implement his policies. He's gonna be working in a system of checks and balances. And you know I don't think we need to think that we're gonna get Medicare for all any more than we needed to think that Donald Trump was going to build a wall and Mexico is gonna pay for it. But it shows where your heart is. You can turn the ship of state a few degrees and it's very, very uh, uh, significant. And consequential down the road. So we'll see. But, uh, you know, welcome to the culture wars. I think we got more polarization to come. But uh, as an integralist, I am, you know, like I said, friendlier to that idea. I see my role as helping to, you know, being the universal donor, uh, as Claire Graves described integral consciousness, the one who can be friends with all of it. And in so doing, Uh, Sort of the natural integration that's next just comes online. Hallelujah, right? Okay, I think that'll do it for today. And stay tuned, and maybe I'll let you know who I voted for. But, uh, you know, I have to figure it out first myself. Okay, thanks, everybody, for listening to The Daily Evolver. Check back, and uh, we'll see you next time.